Hi everyone and welcome to The Ride Up. I'm your host, Charity Swift. everybody and welcome back to today's episode and thank you so much for joining me today. In today's episode we're going to talk about rice bran, why that may actually not be beneficial for some of your horses and uh, we will also dive into the guaranteed analysis labels. We're going to speak a little more in depth on how to read those and also to understand some of the ingredients that might be hidden in there that could be causing some problems for your horses. If you were to do a Google search right now on rice bran, there's going to be a lot of um, articles, studies, and tests uh, referenced that will come up, and uh, it's really in relation to how they're seeing rice bran being able to help with type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. One in particular that I want to bring up is uh, published December 13th, 2011. This is from the Journal of Clinical Biochemistry and Nutrition. And if we go into the abstract um, description of what the study was about, this is in the first paragraph, it's about halfway down. And I want to reference this because I think sometimes when we have a certain supplements or ingredients or things that um, can help with these metabolic issues, sometimes little key uh, points are missed within these structures. And I just want to point this out for a reason. In this uh, abstract, it states, in the rice bran oil group, fasting and two-hour postprandial blood glucose concentrations and what that means is uh, two hours after you've had breakfast, lunch, dinner, or after any type of a meal that these blood glucose concentrations uh, showed to be significantly increased. What is the um, significance of that? Well, as I've stated previously, that uh, rice bran should be a little bit of a red flag for you, especially if you do have issues for horses that have metabolic changes, um, anything to do, hoof-related, laminitis, things to that nature. When we have these uh, high spikes, and rice bran has been shown to do 25 times higher within that first hour. And we ha- when we have these high spikes, they are temporary high blood sugars occurring after eating. Now it's normal for blood sugar to rise a small amount after eating uh, in general. What we want to really gear towards in our horse's diet though is to have like these nice ebbs and flows that look kind of a soft wave of the ocean and that's what we really want to um, have the energy levels and their feed structures help with in their energy levels throughout the day. Does it mean that sugars, carbohydrates and such are bad? Not necessarily because they do need to have their macronutrients properly um, within their diet. 
And generally, for a horse, understanding what those are is, um, you know, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, dietary fiber, minerals, vitamins, and water, things to that nature. So uh, carbohydrate sugar isn't necessarily bad, but when it is bad is when it causes these high levels of spikes to occur. So in these studies, if you read carefully, it does state that there are significant increases of these glucose levels within the um, system. Now, when we have this uh, long-term these spikes can raise the actual fasting glucose levels in the day and the long-term effects of that can cause uh, actual metabolic problems where there may not have been problems in the first place. Where you see this start to have um, issues with your horses long-term is let's say you started your horses out you were feeding these specific feeds that had these inflammatory, these high sugar spikes, and you know they continued on this diet for years. More often than not, you will see issues of hoof-related problems, laminitis, uh, metabolic issues, navicular. You know those all are very strongly diet-related, and that's where I really want you guys to kind of start honing your focus into the longevity of your horses and how, you know, addressing the dietary changes can really benefit the long-term needs and goals with your horses for um, helping to adverse or kind of keep these um, issues from arising in the first place. So that's why, you know, if I've mentioned in the past uh, podcasts of any of these ingredients to be aware of that may cause these high spikes, that's the reason why. Another one of these is molasses. Even in a low sugar, low starch feed, if molasses is on your top tier of ingredients, that can be uh, actually much higher in sugars than you are aware of. So for instance, if I take a look at a feed label of a very popular uh, product here in our area, this is Intensify Omega Force. Now the top eight ingredients lists as this, dehydrated alfalfa meal, wheat middlings, rice bran, soybean oil, oat holes, sorry, flaxseed, dried plain beet pulp, and dried cane molasses. Now, if I were to go and look at the guaranteed analysis as far as the sugar and the starches, now this is marketed as being a low level starch sugar and low on the non-structural carbohydrates as well as being a cool energy calorie. Now, the problems that I will say could arise with this is that you may actually still continue to have issues with your horses that you're trying to keep on these low starch diets because of a few of these key ingredients right here on the top eight ingredients. Now there's quite a bit more ingredients after this. It's a lot of yeast and fermented solubles and of course the micro and macronutrients. Um, 
in the vitamins and minerals, that sort of thing. The dried cane molasses, again, if this were a little bit lower on, like towards the bottom, I wouldn't be as concerned with it being in this product. But it's fairly um, high on the list, so that makes me concerned that even though it states that it is a low starch, low sugar feed, this may actually cause us more problem than good. Now, when I go in and I made my calculations on this product, according to how you would feed it to the horse on average, it would be about a three and a half to four pounds uh, per horse on, a, on per feeding. This would put you at about five tablespoons of sugar or five tablespoons of molasses per feeding. There are 16 grams of sugar per tablespoon of molasses. So I almost, you know, think in my head about how many tablespoons that um, would be. And that just is quite a bit more than I would want for horses that I'm trying to steer clear of having too high of sugars or starches within their diet. Now, it's not necessarily that you want to stay away from, you know, high structured carbohydrates per se, depending on the workload of your horse, but you're going to want to look for a better source for that. The other uh, ingredient in this is, of course, the rice bran. Now, the rice bran is the third ingredient on this list. Again, we are looking at an ingredient that spikes those insulin levels fairly high initially after being fed. So, you know, those two right there, the cane molasses and the rice bran, those are going to be red flags for me about feeding this. The other one is dried plain beet pulp. Now, beet pulp itself is technically a low starch, low sugar feed, but beet pulp is very high in iron. And if you haven't listened to my past podcast about iron levels in your feed, I go into depth about that. Beet pulp is very high, generally where I've seen uh, most of the iron loads in beet pulp when either I've called or I've looked on the labels, it's higher than the maximum parts per million that a horse should have a day. So that right there is a concern for me because uh, iron has actually shown to increase insulin levels as well. So you have those three uh, couples right there kind of playing with each other right in the top ingredients right off the bat. So those are um, a concern for me when I look at this feed. The other issue to this is that iron is also not listed on the guaranteed analysis. So when we're looking at the breakdowns of how to read our labels, we want to really understand, you know, what is required of a manufacturer to be putting on the labels. Commercial feed labels follow a format that's set by the Association of American Feed Control Officials. These members are state and federal feed regulators. So the label must include the following information. The feed name, the purpose or the use of the feed, a guaranteed analysis of the nutrients in the feed, a list of ingredients, directions for feeding and use, the name and the address of the manufacturer, the net weight of the bag, a list of drugs if the feed is medicated, 
as well as any precautions or warnings that may need to be included. The AAFCO regulators test commercial feed mixes before they are marketed and at random times thereafter, so you can be reasonably confident that the information is going to be accurate. And then there are two types of labels that you will see on a feed. One label has a collective term ingredient, and what this is is a general term for ingredients which gives the manufacturer some flexibility to change the recipe slightly as long as it doesn't change the guaranteed analysis. Now, oftentimes you will see this as a grain product, byproduct, something to that nature on the feed label, and what this allows the manufacturer to do is to get a byproduct from another source location maybe for cheap are cheaper than the um, other source and therefore to keep the cost down on the bag of feed. Now the other type of label is a fixed formula ingredient list and this lists each ingredient by name. This is very beneficial and this is what I prefer because then you know what you're actually getting within that feed structure. So this is really beneficial if you have a person that has allergies or sensitivities, but again, I always like to go back to that anti-inflammatory diet, knowing what you're putting into your horse's bodies so that you can start with a great foundation first and then build from there and address the other situations, other you know physical conditions as you need to. Now, each form, format has its own advantages. One is not necessarily better than the other, although I have my own preference. You know, one can help to keep your costs down, but you also have to understand that you're not gonna necessarily know what those particular byproducts are. So just keep that in mind. Now the name will be on the tag. This is usually the term describing the type or form of feed. This is, uh, it's broken down to three different groups. You've got processed feeds, which are the ingredients that are ground up, they're cooked and formed into pellets or extruded nuggets, and sometimes they might look like a puffed up Rice Krispie. You'll have your mixed grains. These are textured feeds, sweet feeds, grain mixtures, and these often have a lot of added molasses. Your processed feeds can generally have that added molasses as well. It's, it's in there to add flavor and help for palatability. But the problems to this, again, is much like, you know, the issue that we have so much now is the added sugar to everything that us as people eat. And we don't want that for our horses. Our horses were not meant to eat sugar. These feeds are meant to complement forage, such as the hay and the grasses. The other um, type of feed is complete feeds, and that's an all-in-one combination of concentrates and uh, forages. And this uh, is generally fed to those who cannot eat hay and grasses although it doesn't supply the same long-stemmed fiber as your hay and grasses do. The benefit to that though is for instance the horses that are senior horses that are having issues digesting, this will be a lot easier to digest. Your label will have a purpose statement. Now this tells you not only that the feed is for the horses, but also for the classes, for instance, life stages, performance levels, whether it's for growing foals or for maintenance of mature horses. 
Horses are considered to be in a maintenance if they're just doing little to no work. So just keep that in mind. When a feed mix is labeled for a certain class of horses, it must be nutritionally balanced for those horses. Now this is actually uh, regulated and required that the feed meet the minimum nutritional requirements for those horses. And the AAFCO officials test it, make sure that it does meet these requirements. In addition, the horse feed manufacturer must sign an affidavit of suitability stating that it is a knowledge of the nutritional content of the feed and the nutritional requirements for the classes listed on the label. And they generally all follow the requirements of the published National Research Council, which is the NRC, we call that again the Bible of uh, nutrition in this type of field. And I have referred to that um, in a couple of the podcasts that you may have listened to, especially in regards to um, understanding their nutrition requirements and the various ratios. I would highly recommend you pick up an edition of the National Research Council book because it's extremely helpful in sort of, you know, helping in that knowledge for those proper ratios. Now, plain grains, such as like whole percent oats, these are not balanced for horses. If you do feed something along that nature, you will need to supplement on top of it. But also keep in mind, if you are cutting some of these complete feeds with a rolled oat, you what, you, what I would suggest you do is, uh, depending on the need of that addition of oat, let's say for a hard keeper, for a senior horse, you want to first add the recommendation to what the bag suggests and then add the grain on top of that. I would also recommend that, you know, you might want to add in some type of a chelator, which would be like a zeolite, a turmeric, or uh, diatomaceous earth, a food grade diatomaceous earth, because adding these types of things, they have their own nutrient compositions and that's not broken down for you to you know, necessarily know of unless you had it tested yourself. So those can kind of offset your balances if you're really trying to stay strict with that. On the labels as well, you're going to have the guaranteed analysis. So here you're going to find the breakdown of nutrients provided by the feed as determined by the laboratory testing. Just know that the regulations require the list to include only certain nutrients. Manufacturers can or do not have to list the others if they so choose. So as I mentioned with this particular popular feed, you know, iron was not listed on that feed label. You know, there's certain other nutrients that are not listed there as well. So just keep that in mind. They are not required past a certain list to actually put onto your guaranteed analysis. If you have questions, again, I would recommend contacting that feed manufacturer and finding out what those actually are. So on your guaranteed analysis, you will have crude protein, 
Commercial feeds typically contain at least 8% to 16% crude protein, with feeds formulated for maintenance of mature horses at the low end of the range, and then those for growing horses, broodmares, and lactating uh, the last three months of pregnancy, etc. Those are going to be at the high end of the crude protein. So horses, of course, they need to have protein to maintain and develop muscle, to produce enzymes and hormones, and for other bodily functions. And the kind of protein matters as well. So proteins are made up of chain of amino acids, and the arrangement of these amino acids in these chains determines the type of protein it is. Some amino acids must be obtained from the diet, and these are termed essential amino acids. Now, one that I have particularly brought up, and I've actually brought up a few in the past podcasts, is lysine. Lysine is critical for both our young and our senior horses. It's critical for growth, muscle repair, and for other um, parts of uh, the mature horses. This essential amino acid has actually been found to needing to be higher. They published it in 2007 that their new recommendation should be at 4.3%. So if we jump over again to the guaranteed analysis of this specific feed that I had mentioned, if we look at the crude proteins, we're gonna look at some of these that I just mentioned. So the crude protein is at 12%. I would be happy with that. It's at a minimum, so they don't list your maximum. You can be higher than that, which I also wanna caution you with some of these because if it's only listing your minimum, uh, there could cause an issue there of imbalancing because you don't have a maximum list in there. For this guaranteed analysis, we have lysine as a minimum of 0.8%. Again, we don't have our maximum, but that is pretty low. What these are um, banking on is that you're getting more of these nutrients from your forage. And I will say that a lot of the time, forage can be fairly low in lysine. So oftentimes I find that even with these complete feeds, I may have to add an amino acid to that as a supplement top dress because it's not enough, especially for horses that may have trouble keeping a top line. They may be the hard keepers. Uh, Generally for the hard keepers, I'll find that I might have to treat them for ulcers and then also add an amino acid to really help build that top line again. The great thing about lysine is that you're not actually adding more to that protein percentage, so um, you're getting a quality protein addition there, but you're not increasing that crude protein. So that's kind of great to know and understand, especially if you're dealing with the growth of your young foals and you're not going to want to increase that crude protein too high. So um, just keep in mind that lysine is a great addition for keeping um, their growth, uh, their critical growth in muscle. Crude fat is another one on your label. Now fat is a dense source of energy. Per pound, it provides more than twice as much digestible energy as protein and carbohydrates. And the label shows a minimum level of crude protein or crude fat, sorry, which may be anywhere from less than 2% to 8% or more. High fat feeds generally provide more high octane fuel 
and more energy for the horses. So if you have horses that are in higher workloads, you're going to want to increase that high fat. You're going to get a better overall performance if you increase those high, higher fats in their diet. Now, there are ways to do that to give better fats. Again, you know, oftentimes, for instance, like a rice bran is added for that particular reason. I do have recommendations for uh, good sources of fats. I like hemp seed or hemp hearts, chia seeds, and a camelina oil. Those three, you can feed them on their own. You can combine them however you want. Uh, I they give a really great omega-3-6 profile. Um, it's got proper ratios in there that I find are really beneficial for the horses, as well as giving you a good fat for the horse. So those would be my recommendations there. Now you will not find anything comparable to calories per serving number like you see on packaged foods in the supermarket anywhere on your horse's feed level labels. And the reason why is because it's really difficult to, you know, break that down, to um, collect that data and uh, just utilize the digestible energy because it varies on horses, breed, body, type, health, their teeth, etc. But your fat content gives you one indication of the digestible energy level. So the higher the percentage of fat, the higher the amount of digestible energy in the feed. So that's excellent if you're looking for that type of thing for your horses that are needing more of that. That's a really great way for you to kind of read between the lines and be able to pick that out on your label. Another yardstick of digestible energy is to check the content of fiber. On your label, it's gonna be listed as crude fiber. And most forms of fiber provide low amounts of energy, but fiber is essential to keeping the digestive system working smoothly. And oftentimes you will see, for instance, if you're needing to do like a sand clear, sand clear is a psyllium and that is a fiber. And that helps to clear things out of the digestive system and help it to keep working properly. So the label will show the maximum percentage of crude protein, typically 7%. Uh, I'm sorry, crude fiber. Uh, it's typically 7% to 12%. A high fiber feed might have more. And uh, feeds that are lower in fiber, they're generally more digestible. So the lower the fiber, the higher the digestible energy. So just keep that in mind. That's also something key for your horses that need more of that energy. Maybe you're seeing your horses needing some more weight, having a harder time digesting that fiber. That would be uh, something to keep in mind the lower the fiber. You will also have listed your minerals and vitamins. Now these are level of levels of important minerals and these are the ones that need to be listed. Calcium, phosphorus, copper, zinc, and selenium. Now these are shown at maximum or minimum percentages or in parts per million, which will read PPM at the end of the number. Vitamin A is shown in international units per pound, which would read IU. And manufacturers may choose to list other vitamins and minerals, but they are not required to. Now, also keep in mind that our selenium 
it is a key mineral, but it can be toxic. So it's important to not overfeed it. It's very important to know if your areas are high in levels of selenium, because if they are, you do not want to feed a, a grain or a feed, excuse me, a feed that it has this added selenium to it. So the grain used in horse feeds, such as oats, corn, and barley, if those are added, these are high in phosphorus and low in calcium, copper, and zinc. So because the horses need these minerals in the proper ratios like we've spoken of, these feed formulators will add these mineral supplements to help to balance that depending on what the feed contains naturally to balance that feed. Now we've mentioned previously calcium phosphorus, calcium magnesium. Now you're gonna be somewhere between a one to one and a two parts calcium to one part phosphorus, two parts calcium to one part magnesium. Now your alfalfa legume haze generally will have more calcium than your grass haze. So if your feeds are higher in those, you may have to balance with the phosphorus or you may have to balance with the magnesium, particularly if you have horses that become hot and oversensitive um, or if you have horses that you may need to really watch their phosphorus levels. Copper and zinc and calcium, those again are all very important to work together. Uh, they are important for growth and development. They're also very important for feet and hoof and uh, coat quality. Your vitamin A will also look like beta carotene. This is very ample in green pasture grass. So this is often added to the feeds because most horses, they don't have the year-round access to green grass. Some horses are supposed to be on dry lots because of metabolic challenges also. So this is added to your feeds and uh, you know help to properly balance, again, those nutrients. Your ingredients is gonna be the section that tells you what actually is in the feed. So ingredients are listed in order of amount from greatest to least. Now, that was really key when I had mentioned on those top eight ingredients with that horse feed, which was the dehydrated alfalfa meal, wheat middlings, rice bran, soybean oil, oat holes, flaxseed, dry and played beet pulp, dried cane molasses, those are the top eight. And honestly, you know, I don't, the alfalfa meal is not a concern for me. I don't really have too much concern with some of the fillers either, to be honest. You know, if you're feeding pretty clean, they don't worry me as much as some of the other ingredients. So like the wheat middlings and oat holes, those are things that are a byproduct from those, so you're not necessarily getting a nutritional content with them to be really concerned about. But again, the rice bran would be a red flag for me, the soybean oil. You know, if your horses do have allergies or sensitivities, these other components could play a key factor, you know, with a red flag as well. But the soybean oil, is uh, definitely gonna be higher in phytoestrogens. I try and steer clear of things that really um, raise your phytoestrogen levels for your horses because uh, oftentimes that can affect your, your mares, especially if you're showing or doing types of events with mares. Uh, also, it can affect your stallions if you're uh, a breeder. 
as well as flaxseed. Again, that's on this list. Flaxseed is one that can really highly sensitize your mares because flaxseed has up to four times higher phytoestrogens than soy does. So just keeping these um, key factors in mind as to why these may affect a horse. Because if you start to feed something and all of a sudden you start to have these reactions, those are things that you wanna take a look at on that ingredient list and just be aware may be causing problems. So again, you know, you have your fixed ingredient list on the ingredients, or you have your collective term ingredients. These um, are both, you know, just depending on, on how you feel about what you feed your horse, you know, both of them could be beneficial. Again, my preference is the fixed ingredient list, the collective term. It generally will look like some type of grain product, byproduct. Um, it won't actually have the name spelled out on the list. So your last thing will be your feeding directions and this will suggest the amount of uh, feed to be fed daily based on your horse's weight and they generally give you a fairly broad range and you know oftentimes we see that the horses aren't getting enough for their body weight so the levels on the guaranteed analysis aren't being met so there's one time where you will um, possibly just need to up your horse's feed um, oftentimes though based on what I um, find there's other additions or you need to subtract some things and change up some things um, because when you look at how much your horse needs to be fed on the guaranteed analysis you need to actually go by the weight, not the volume. So for instance, a quart of extruded feed may weigh 40% less than a quart of pelleted feed, and it will provide 40% less nutrition. So even if both provide the same nutrition pound for pound, you need to weigh that. So do the math, it'll save you some money long-term because then you're not going to have to you know, add this and add that and whatnot. I find that it's much easier to, you know, simplify things, especially when you're going with more of a cleaner diet, staying away from these inflammatory type ingredients. It's not that hard. And once you get to the hang of it, uh, you can really see the benefits long-term and um, it doesn't cause a problem with your feeding even a larger group of horses. And for myself, if I do uh, want to have a simple feeding, for instance, you know, I wanna make it easy for those who are caretaking my farm if I'm going on a horse show or something. I might have them just feed a complete feed for my barn horses or my outside horses that are still left there. My favorite, I, I really, you know, there's, there's a couple things that I could point out in the ingredient deck that could be an issue for metabolically challenged horses. I will say that I have some metabolic challenged 
horses that I've had on this feed that I don't have any problems with, but the feed is Triple Crown Naturals Pellet, and that's the cleanest, um, easiest to find in your local feed stores, um, and that's one that I really tore, you know, kind of gear towards if it's something simple and easy that I don't want to have to add a bunch of supplements to. And I will add a scoop of the supplement that I have made from the Equine Edge. And depending on the horse, I might add additional omega source, omega fats for that horse. And that's it. It's pretty simple, very easy, and uh, doesn't have to be complicated. So I hope that this gives you guys some great information. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at Charity Swift or Charity Swift Performance Horses on Facebook. You can also find me on my website at www.charityswift.com or on email at charityswift at hotmail.com. And I hope that you guys are doing well out there and I hope that I see you guys in the next episode. You guys take care. Bye.